You're listening to Cancer Covered. When I was younger, some things I wasn't able to do or participate in, sports, recreational activities. I guess that. Just risk of having bleeds, severe injuries, trying not to get hurt. Does that mean contact or? Yeah, contact, uh, like in football. But it isn't just things like getting hit by a linebacker that will cause someone with a bleeding disorder to bleed. I mean, every day contact and activity can sometimes cause bleeding. Yeah, just bumping the elbow could potentially cause a bleed. I mean, losing teeth and stuff when I was younger was, that was heavy bleeding. Wow. Yeah. So presumably you've received a lot of factor infusions over the years as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yep. You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. You may not realize it, but treating blood diseases like anemia, clotting disorders, and bleeding disorders is a big part of our job. And we're just as passionate about emerging therapies for blood diseases as we are for cancer. In today's episode, we explore the newest frontier in the treatment of hemophilia B, talk with some of the folks who brought that treatment into our community, and hear how it's already changed the life of one remarkable young man. I'm here today with Andrea Miller, Matthew Ryan, and Mason Buxton. Introductions. Andrea, tell us a bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, so I am the nurse practitioner here at the Hemophilia Outreach Center. I started about nine years ago as a nurse and transitioned into the role of NP. Awesome. Uh, Mason? My name is Mason, and I have bleeding disorder, hemophilia B, and I've been a patient at the Hemophilia Outreach Center my whole life. Green Bay native? Green Bay. Well, used to be Appleton, Green Bay, yeah. Matthew? Matthew Ryan. I'm a physician both at Green Bay Oncology and Hemophilia Outreach Center. I've been working here for the last 13 years. Really great to be sitting with you folks today, and thanks for coming out to talk to us. Matthew, are most folks aware that many of us cancer doctors are also blood doctors? No, that's not well known. It goes back to the beginning of medical oncology as a profession that Back in the 70s, the only doctors that were giving chemotherapy were the hematologists for things like Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So it was really an open field, and the hematologists filled it. Over time, medical oncology became its own board-certified profession. But ever since that beginning, those two professions have been linked together, often in training and definitely in practice. And that means that a lot of us in academic and often community practice, wear two hats. We're cancer doctors part-time and blood doctors part-time, and sometimes uh, alternating hats between patients on the same day. And here in Northeast Wisconsin, our hematology work also brings us here to the Hemophilia Outreach Center. Andrea, tell our listeners about what the Hemophilia Outreach Center does. Yes, so the Hemophilia Outreach Center is a center for patients with bleeding disorders. We primarily serve Hemophilia A and B and von Willebrands, and also have some other rare disorders in there as well. But we are specialized in the fact that we focus on those patients by offering comprehensive care to those patients. So that includes not only their hematologists, but also access to services such as dietitian, dental hygienist, social worker, genetic counselor, 
just lots of different ancillary services that help the patient as a whole. And what kinds of treatments do you give here? So we do all sorts of different factor treatments for patients that need to have their factor 8 or 9 von Willebrand factor replaced. And factors are essentially replacement infusions for the clotting factors that people with hemophilia A or B or von Willebrands are, are missing. So you right. guys actually give yeah. those as infusions. We do, yes, because they're not able to make their own clotting factor that they're missing, so we have to give it to them via an IV infusion. Where do those factors come from? We work with all different manufacturers that do produce the products, and we have a physician dispensing pharmacy here on site, so we actually order and allot those factors and then infuse them in-house as well. And are those factors, I mean, times past, a lot of those factors were really pooled or purified from blood banks and things like that, but that's not how a lot of those factors are created now, is it? Correct. So for the majority, the products are what we call recombinant products or made from cells of hamsters and things like that, but they don't use any human plasma or blood products anymore. Okay. Green Bay Oncology has been working with the Hemophilia Outreach Center since 2010. That's 13 years now. I've personally had the privilege of being able to work here and staff the clinic a few times, but Matthew, you're a regular, aren't you? Yeah. It's a nice change from my the rest of my day-to-day clinics, and I've really enjoyed it here. How long has the Hemophilia Outreach Center been in existence in northeastern Wisconsin, Andrea? So we were started by two nurses over 25 years ago and have just grown to serve not only the Green Bay-Appleton area, but we have patients as far as up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan we recently opened another location in Wausau, in central Wisconsin, uh, last year so that we were able to expand our footprint more as there's patients in that area as well. Andrea, how did the Hemophilia Outreach Center start in northeastern Wisconsin? So we were started by two nurses that actually had a vested interest not only by working in hematology, but also had family members that had bleeding disorder. And then we continue to grow it to the point that now we actually have patients that serve on our board of directors and are very involved in what we do here. Mason, I doubt most of the public has any idea of what it's like to live with a significant bleeding disorder. Could you tell us a bit about what what's it like to live with hemophilia B? It wasn't really a, a whole problem when I was younger. I mean, you know, I some things I wasn't able to do or participate in, sports, recreational activities. I guess um, that. Just risk of having bleeds, severe injuries, trying not to get hurt. Does that mean contact or? Yeah, contact, uh, like in football. But it isn't just things like getting hit by a linebacker that will cause someone with a bleeding disorder to bleed. I mean, every day contact and activity can sometimes cause bleeding. Yeah, just bumping the elbow could potentially cause a bleed. I mean, losing teeth and stuff when I was younger was, I mean, that was heavy bleeding. Wow. Yeah. And when you would have episodes like that, what would happen? I mostly got them in my elbows. So I'd just get really swollen, inflamed, and I would lose mobility, won't be able to extend my elbow or anything. That's majority of what would happen. And then like going back to like when I would lose my teeth, it was just 
very heavy bleeding and clotting. The doctors and nurses do for you. Tell me how to treat it. Rice, rest, ice, compression, elevation, and just, you know, stay off of it. Be careful. Be more cautious. So presumably you've received a lot of factor infusions over the years as oh, well. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So many of those bleeds are spontaneous. They're in the joint that'll cause long-term arthritis. So right. in severe hemophilia A and B, then we often do prophylaxis and give regular doses to limit the bleeds, but still that doesn't completely eliminate them. Right. I mean, a lot of us think about bruises as something that happens once and it is uncomfortable or unsightly for a week or two, but a bleed in the joint can permanently damage and limit it, as, as Mason was saying. No one should carry the burden of cancer alone. And while every physician approaches cancer with their own unique skill set, we all agree on this one simple idea. Hi, I'm Dr. Gayu, a physician at Green Bay Oncology. The truth is, a cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and overwhelmed. And these moments are exactly when you need support the most. That's why all our doctors rely on the support of our team of qualified medical professionals. And here's two of them. Hi, I'm Madison Young. And I'm Tom Beckers. As social workers, we see how meaningful connection brings strength and healing to patients and loved ones facing cancer every single day. Our patients and physicians agree, sharing your experience in a safe space with others is powerful and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual and in-person cancer support group facilitated for you wherever you are on your cancer journey. So whether by internet, phone, or in-person, you'll have access to the support of a community on a similar path. To join us, visit gboncology.com and click on support. So Mason, besides the episodic problems that somebody with a bleeding disorder might have, I imagine the prophylactic infusions, the just the maintenance infusions and factors must must create some problems as well, right? Yeah, definitely. I started doing my own IVs when I was seven years old. Yeah. Um but sometimes, you know, if you'd get a bleed in your elbow, having that, you know, trying to infuse by yourself, that was difficult. But I always had my dad with me. And then if dad couldn't do it, there was always the, the hemo center to help. I still can't bring myself to watch when they draw my blood at the doctor's office. I can't imagine having to self Not the biggest fan of needles. No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but it was definitely a skill that was taught to me, you know, by everybody at the hemo center. They really push for that self-treatment. And how often, for instance, would you need to give yourself factor? Once a week. Every yep. week? Yep. Every week. And then if I were to have a bleed, it would be more. Um, might have to do a half of a dose, just boost my levels or keep them up. That's a lot of needle sticks. Yep. It is. I mean, that's not just physically and logistically burdensome as a patient, but I can only imagine the cumulative expense something like that must incur. Andrea, Matthew, any thoughts? Yeah, so a factor, um, no matter which factor it is, is very expensive. We used to have patients that back before the Affordable Care Act went into place and there were insurance caps and lifetime limits those patients often did not do prophylaxis because their parents were worried that they would run out and reach that cap before their child got older. 
And we would see a lot of joint damage in those patients, for sure. But with patient with hemophilia B, for instance, like Mason, it's estimated they would spend over $20 million in their lifetime on that prophylactic factor medication. So historically, although people with bleeding disorders like hemophilia B and hemophilia A and, and von Willebrand's, there's a medical therapy, there's a workaround. It's not, it's not a perfect workaround, but it comes with significant burdens both as a patient and, and also you know, to the system and society at large. Um, is there a better way? You know, Mason's lived through this. There's been progress throughout from one safe factor with the recombinant factors. And then it wasn't always once a week for prophylaxis. They've extended the half-life of factors. So it would have been two to three times a week prior to that. And some are fortunate enough to go to 10 or 14 days between infusions. In hemophilia A, there's been a very exciting novel therapy called Hemlibra. Uh, using uh, an antibody that grabs two different proteins, replacing the factor eight. And for hemophilia A, they can do subcutaneous injections as little as every four weeks. So there's been a lot of progress, but really, you know, the biggest thing recently has been the approval of gene therapy for hemophilia B and more recently hemophilia A. So most of the bleeding disorders are inherited disorders, meaning that a person is born with either abnormal gene or lacking a certain gene that allows their body to manufacture normal amounts of factor, more or less. So what does gene therapy do? Um, so gene therapy, such as the new therapy that was recently approved for hemophilia B, actually is delivered to the liver of the patient, and it takes over as the new gene-producing factor nine in hemophilia B patients. So we're actually putting a copy of the gene that the patients are missing into their body and planting in their liver. How does it get there? So we actually use a viral vector that the replicating DNA of that virus is taken out, and that gene, cons gene cassette and promoter are put into that vector and delivered through an IV infusion to the patient. In this viral vector capsid that's used has a propensity for the liver. So it is, the hopes is that it travels and implants itself and starts producing its own factor nine. It does not change their DNA. They can still, would still pass that mutation on. In Mason's case, for instance, if he had a daughter, but it does allow him to produce his own factor. And this treatment's been a long time coming. Gene therapy and uh, genetic manipulation is something that has taken quite a long time for us to get good enough at for it to become a viable therapy, much less an FDA-approved therapy. Yeah, there was a bit of a false start about 25 years ago where they weren't getting sustainable levels and there were other concerns at the time. So this is a new generation, a much uh, a safe version and you know, so far, very durable results. Mason, your connection to this topic is pretty intimate. Tell our listeners why. I was the first patient to participate in gene therapy since the FDA approved it. The very first? Very first. In the world? In the world, yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> well, when did that happen? This was a few weeks ago. It was at the beginning of June. Um, I did the gene therapy treatment. What was that like for you? Um, very exciting. Very exciting. I felt honored to be able to do it. Not even just being the first person in the, you know, in the world to do it, but just to receive this treatment, you know, to have an alternative or a better lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And any problems with the treatment, any side effects so far that you experienced? Not at all. Nothing physical. Um, I did have higher liver enzyme levels, but that was discussed and talked about. But since then, no problems with it and I'm being treated for that. Um, I would imagine something like that takes time to come online, you know, and for the, for the implanted gene to kind of start ramping up producing factor. So that happened, you said, you know, some weeks back is, do we have any idea if, or how effective it's been so far? It's been very effective. My, my factor nine levels are at 30%, um, from two. Wow. Yeah. Yep. I don't infuse anymore. Um, there, like we talked about before, bumping my arm on the table, you know, I don't, I haven't had to bleed. And usually if I go this long without infusing, I would have had a bleed already and haven't had any side effects with, you know, bleeding or having a bleed in it. So within a couple of weeks, you've not only had fewer symptoms, but you know, you've been able to be without the normal prophylaxis that you've been getting for years since you were a child. Yep, that's correct. What does that feel like? <laughs> it's so exciting. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say it causes stress, having to remember to infuse, but it's definitely takes that pressure off your shoulders. Has it changed anything practical about your life or your schedule or maybe just your mindset? Well, yeah, my mindset for sure. I don't have to worry about infusing. You know, I can, getting a cut and all that, I don't have to worry about it as much anymore. That's absolutely thrilling. Yeah, very exciting. So how was it you came to be selected or did you choose? It was just talked about at the Hemo Center that, there was this option or the gene therapy treatment option. And I, you know, talked with my family and we discussed it and I was on board from the start. Any trepidation about trying something that new? No, I trust everybody at the center. I wasn't worried about it. Andrea and Matthew, you both involved in the administering the treatments? Yes, we were. What was that like? Yeah, that was like Mason said, exciting. I mean, there were no words to describe how it was that day when he got his infusion, we spent a lot of months preparing to do the infusion. And then, you know, seeing how his levels have come up since he's had the infusion and just seeing how well he's responded to it and the fact that he doesn't have to infuse anymore. I mean, that's life-changing. Yeah, a couple things. The center did an amazing job. As you can imagine, a brand new novel therapy, there's a lot of hoops to get this available to a patient. And really, that was done so efficiently that we were able to do the first infusion and second since the FDA approval in anywhere in the country or the world. Second, 30%, and and we don't know where the level will land, but you live a normal life. Maybe if you had a major surgery, but um, just a little bit of factor goes a long ways Mm -hmm. in in most things. And 30% is an excellent level. So 
We have very high hopes for amazing. Is it known when peak effect happens? A month later, six months later, six years later? Do, is that known yet from a drug that's new? Yeah, it's after a couple months. Okay. And is this a one and done kind of treatment or is this something that people have to get topped up on periodically? One and done. Wow. So how soon after he received this treatment did Mason come in for his first lab test? So he came in one week later. He actually will continue to do labs weekly through the first three months. Not only to check his factor level, but it's very important that we keep an eye on his liver enzymes to see how they're doing as well. I can just imagine the three of you sitting there waiting on those results to come in. Who saw it first? For his factor level? Yeah. I was able to see it first. But the entire center waits with bated breath every single (laughs) week to see what his level comes with because everyone, whether they were in the room that day or not for gene therapy, was involved and are all very excited. Every every week we see his labs. Did you have any inkling about how it was working before that point? or? Yeah, we definitely talked about it, how it was going to work. and Yeah, but then seeing it actually on paper mm-hmm. was very exciting. I can only imagine. So yeah. the first couple, he was still on prophylaxis, so mm-hmm. we were measuring the low level of that. And then the big step was not giving him prophylaxis for a week and seeing how he did. And then that next level we knew was his. So Mason, any hopes for yourself for the future? Yeah, I don't really think about myself. You know, I want everybody to be able to have access to this treatment and then they can all have bleed-free futures and, you know, live a happy, normal life. That's fantastic. So Andrea, Matthew, this has been a quarter century coming. And as exciting as new treatments are, none of it would have been possible without the work of researchers and the sacrifices and willingness of patients who came before Mason to participate in clinical trials. Any comments about that? Yeah, the research and and even going back to the beginning, and I think the roots of this center is another word is advocacy. So this was a very small uh, patient population with very severe disease. You know, without a voice, resources weren't going to be allocated to to make this better. And and through advocacy, the research has been done, and amazing science has happened, and brave participants and new therapies have brought these new treatments. I know Mason's able to benefit from Andrea. Places like the Hemophilia Outreach Center or Hemophilia Treatment Centers (HTC) for short are really mission-driven organizations. Most of them have a similar backstory, started by just kind of a dedicated and passionate group of people. So um, we are very unique in the fact that we're the first nurse-founded and nurse-led HTC, but also we are independent, and that is something that is very rare in the HTC world. So we are able to offer several different treatment options, including gene therapy, to patients without having a lot of rules and regulations over us, such as in the hospitals or universities where you'll find other HTCs. Yeah, I would imagine that's where the vast majority are located. There's a fair bit of logistics involved in arranging for delivery factor, storing them, administering them, etc. And then there's not just a profusion of hematologists who are experts in coagulation that are able to staff it. Yeah, I mean, we've been very fortunate to have Matthew on board as our hematologist and 
also bringing his knowledge from Green Bay Oncology. But uh, so, so we are, like I said, just very unique in how we're able to go about and offer these services to the community. I can only imagine the future for gene therapy for other diseases, not just hemophilia A and B and maybe von Willebrand's disease, but, but other diseases. Matthew, what's your vision? Yeah, actually, and I don't remember the name of it, there is a rare spinal cord disease that gene therapy is making a big difference. And now muscular dystrophy, if treated at a very young age, may benefit from gene therapy. It's, it's a really exciting time. It's... It's a real privilege to be able, in the span of my career, see innovations like this that were just the speculation of undergraduate biology labs, and now to actually be able to meet somebody like Mason, who's the first recipient of, of such a therapy. And I got to say, I really appreciate your courage to uh, sit down for something that, that's that new. I admire your spirit and the, the obvious optimism that you tackle life with. And it's just a privilege to meet you, Mason. Thanks so much for coming to talk to us today. Thank you. Absolutely. Andrea, real pleasure to meet you. And thank you so much for the work you do in the community. Thank you. Matthew, always a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Covered. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com.